कॉल गर्ल अब्सेस्ड विथ सेक्स स्मगलर लविंग मदर ग्रेट फ्रेंड क्रिमिनल वंडरफुल होस्टर्स मर्डरर These are the words that have been used to describe Shanaz Gul for 50 years. Could Shanaz Gul have been one or the other or both? And does that even matter? For 50 years since the moment Shanaz was found a few feet away from where Mustafa lay dead, she has been a figure of mystery. Everyone has told us a story about her. Everyone has a theory about her. And in the 1970s It seems like everyone had some sort of connection to her. There's a college student who went to court to catch a glimpse of her. There's the socialite who didn't name her newborn daughter Shanaz because the name itself had become kind of scandalous. There's the person whose parents were friends with Shanaz. There's her doctor, her neighbor, her friends, the person who saw her buying fruit in the street. the men who are still somehow obsessed with her but who really was shanaz gul and how did she end up at the scene of the crime unconscious while mustafa zaidi was dead i'm sabaim tears i'm tuba masood and this is notes on a scandal where did shanaz gul come from her family originally had some connections to an Afghan royal family. Later on, Shanaz's family put down roots in Ludhiana in Punjab in then undivided India. It's unclear when they moved to modern-day Pakistan, but they seem to have made a home in Gujranwala, a small city around 60 miles from Lahore. In 1941, Gujranwala's population was 85,000, which in the next decade grew to 121,000. Sabah, can you tell me a little about Shanaz's life in Gujranwala, her family, her sisters? As far as we know, Shanaz had four other sisters: uh, Shiri Gul, Bibi Gul, Shah Gul, and Jani Gul. And they lived in a fairly large house in Gujranwala, and they spoke Persian at home, which is possibly a throwback to their roots from Afghanistan. But Shanaz's family was actually quite conservative, and even more so compared to the other families of other girls in their neighborhood. How so? Well, Gujranwala is it's a small town and people in Punjab were generally conservative but for example it was unusual to cover your entire horse drawn cart to go to school and that's what the, when they went to school and later on they would apparently remove the covers on their way and you know they were very confined indoors that they had very little life outside of the house and that wasn't the case for the other people in their school so i think they had like a fairly restricted life and it was very much confined to home and school essentially were they well known did people know who they were actually apparently lots of people knew who they were it's not that unusual because gujranwala was quite a small place then but it seems like everyone in that generation knew this family a probably because they had a big house they were quite well known there were so many sisters that somebody or the other had gone to school with them and they were rumored to be an incredibly good looking set of sisters they were dubbed as legend has it right the princesses of kabul kabul ki shahzadiyan who went to you know this aura of mystique and like glamour about them and that they went to school but they were covered completely so nobody knew what they looked like and even for other school girls they were incredibly beautiful women no one more so than shanaz who even at a young age was supposed to be the most stunning woman in gujranwala actually last year tuba we even managed to trace back some of shanaz's life in gujranwala Yeah, it was uh, it was 
It was quite an interesting trip to go to Gujranwala. I had no idea what to expect. I think I kind of just assumed that we would go there and we'd find her house and we'd find the school. But it actually took us quite a while to locate the school. We did walk around the area where her house was supposed to be, but we didn't really find anything. Yeah, and we did manage to go and find the school actually, which mm-hmm. was in Urdu Bazaar. But, you know, there was very little sign of Shanaz, her infamy. Which, which I kind of found a little sad because I was like, this woman, you know, she lived here, she grew up here. And there was nothing of her there. And the school building has also been torn down. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's a completely new building there instead. So I think one of the things that I did take away from our trip to Gujrawala was trying to imagine what Shanaz's life was like at that time. I mean, now Gujrawala is a big city. But at that time, it it wasn't this densely populated. It was, they had a lot of parks, which are still there. And you could kind of get a sense of what Shanaz's life Mm -hmm. would have been like, just friends and walks in the park and picking fruit from the trees and having schoolgirl pursuits which are you know gossip and conversations and collecting photos of actors and also I guess imagining what your life will be like in the future. What Shainaz and so many girls want to do whose lives are restricted until they get married was to leave. Marriage can mean many things but it also meant a new life and independence from one kind of rules and restrictions and of rules of another kind. For Shanaz, that freedom finally came in the form of marriage and Salim Khan, a divorcee from Lahore. Salim Khan was from an upper-middle-class family in Lahore, who had sent a proposal for Shanaz's hand in marriage. Even though Salim was considerably older than her, he may have represented an escape into another world. And it was another world. Lahore, while still provincial, had socialites, culture, and shopping. Lahore is one of the largest cities in Pakistan. It is historic and a centre for politics, business, culture, poetry. And even though it is close to Gujranwala, it was a completely different world. Salim's family was certainly well off, and they lived in the neighbourhood of Model Town, which had some of Pakistan's most prominent individuals in its midst. The poet, Fez Ahmed Fez and his family, Thespian Zaya Moedin, lawyer Abid Hassan Minto, Lahore society was, and still is, closed off. In Lahore, connections and lineages are paramount. As socialite Shal Ali Khan told us, They want to know who your great-grandfather was, how much money you've got in the bank, what your husband's doing. Shala, like Shanaz, also came from Akwan royalty and had a stratospheric rise in society when she married Nawab Jamal Khan Lagari, a politician and tribal clan leader. Shala drew a picture of Lahore society for us and compared it to Karachi. They're so parochial. I've lived in Lahore. When I lived in Lahore, I was top of the pops. I was invited to everything. And when I had parties, everybody came. Lahore is now so big. They are very, very into themselves. They don't let an outsider in. And the women are so possessive of their guys. The men are terrified of talking to someone. And when they come here, alone, then they think Karachi women are just available. Karachi girls are working. Karachi girls are emancipated. If they're smoking and drinking, so they can go to bed. And they come and do all the badmashi over here. Other women in Lahore society have described what life was like. They would drink discreetly, mixing hard liquor with coke. 
Gossip circulated quickly between Lahore and Karachi as socialites got on the phone to exchange stories. Photos of parties appeared in Star, an evening newspaper, and in the society magazine Mirror, edited and published by the pioneering female journalist Zebunissa Hamidullah. Shanaz and Salim had two children, and in the 1960s, Shanaz met Mustafa Zaidi for the first time in Lahore, when he was still a high-ranking government officer. Mustafa's friend said that she approached him to help resolve an issue that Salim was facing. And one of Mustafa's friends would later remember visiting Lahore around this time and accompanying Mustafa, Shanaz, and Salim to the city's flying club, where Mustafa used to fly planes. Last year, Sabah and I were in Lahore and we decided to go check out the Lahore Flying Club to see if we could find any records of Mustafa. Unfortunately, they had none. In the 1960s, Shanaz Gul and her husband Salim Khan moved to Karachi. Salim got a job working for the Haroons, a well-known, prestigious Karachi family. At this time, Pakistan's economic life was largely believed to be in the hands of 22 of the country's richest families. Families like the Vilikas, the Adamjis, and their wives and daughters dominated society. With Salim's new job, came a way to make inroads into this new world. Tubas, Shanaz and Salim had moved from Lahore to Karachi. What kind of world did they find when they came here? Karachi is glamorous and cosmopolitan, and everything was kind of new and developing. Criminal syndicates and mafias, hotel barons and industrialists, politicians and their cronies were all emerging. Karachi was truly at par with party capitals of the world, with its lively nightlife, over 500 cinemas, and a race course in beautiful beaches. In the 1970s, Karachi was actually being compared to cities like Beirut and Paris, where at the Metropole and at uh, the Excelsior, they had cabaret shows, they had uh, Lebanese ballet dancers who used to come. They, They even had American jazz musicians come and play regularly at local hotels. Many people prefer to entertain at home. Some of the best parties were thrown by prominent politician and landowner Ghulam Mustafa Jatoi and his Anglo-Indian wife, Maria. What is life like for rich people in Karachi in 1970? Socialites in Karachi had very hip and happening lives. They had so many places to go, it is unimaginable now if you look at Karachi. Uh, A typical night out would start at drinks at someone's house before setting out for a sin club, intercontinental or metropole where people would go, dance, have supper, as socialite Shala told us. I've been to parties when they had bars going, champagne flowing here and dancing going on and swimming pools. They had terrific parties in those days. You had about 100 people, a couple of bars going, and people were dancing and enjoying themselves and plenty of money going around. Cards used to be popping in and there were two or three parties a night. So all of this, nightclubs, cabarets, discos, this all sounds very typical for a big city in the world in 1970. And clearly Karachi was no exception. It may sound strange to us now because even though Karachi is still very vibrant and huge and exciting, it doesn't have that same kind of nightlife for rich people, right? There are no nightclubs, there are no cabarets, at least not that I know of. And there are no bars. 
And what else were Karachi's socialites getting up to in 1970? Well, Sabah, they were very busy sleeping with each other. It was one big incestuous group. Someone's second wife would be sleeping with their third husband or the first husband would be on the lookout for his third or fourth wife or mistress. But none of this was published in the press. And people gossiped, like people knew who was sleeping with whom, but there was no official information about it. For example, like people would whisper, they would talk about it on their 11 a.m. coffee call, but there was no, no, nothing written about it, right? Besides that, there was also the wife swapping. So wife swapping, like key clubs in America in the 60s, I guess? Exactly like that. Everyone knew who was a part of the club, but like Fight Club, you didn't talk about it. Right. So the first rule of the Pakistani key club is you don't talk about the Pakistani key club. Exactly. Well, I think good for us that some people have talked to, it, to us about it. But, you know, we're not naming any names here. People are swapping spouses and, and going out every night and having a great time. But Mustafa really isn't a part of this lifestyle. He lives in a nice neighborhood, though, like a neighborhood which has lots of rich and, and interesting and important people. But Mustafa himself is not particularly... Like, he's not a party giver. He's a party goer, I guess. Mustafa wasn't high society, but he was on the periphery. He knew the people who were high society. At the same time, in Karachi, Shanaz and Salim moved to the neighbourhood of Bangalore town. Shanaz adopted Karachi ways. She started wearing a sari, like other middle-class and upper-middle-class women, which an acquaintance, a government officer's wife, taught her how to train. Shanaz and Salim enrolled their daughters in Karachi Grammar School, one of the city's most prestigious schools, whose alumni include the former Prime Minister Benazir Bhutto, the Oscar-winning filmmaker Shramino Bachchanoy, and the author Kamla Shamsi. But the socialites of that time, Shanaz's friends, didn't seem to know much about Salim. Jewelry designer and socialite Zenith Said Ahmed said about Salim, I didn't know him, hardly. He was a bichara, was not good-looking. I think they had money because they had a nice house and lived well. Shana soon became well-known in Karachi. She was a welcoming hostess. She was friendly, warm, a good conversationalist. But what really made Shanaz famous was her beauty. She soon became known as one of the most stunning women on the city's social circuit. She adapted the latest trends. In photos taken of her in those years, you can see her going out wardrobe and how it's changed. She wore pants with short-fitted tunics, silk and French chiffon saris with sleeveless tops. Like the other socialites, she wore her hair in updo at parties, wore heavy eyeliner. Unlike Mustafa, who wrote about how he often felt like a misfit, Shanaz was confident and charming, and soon she had charmed all of Karachi. Socialite Zenith Said Ahmed remembered Shanaz quite well. She was very beautiful. And then there was Sahar Ansari, a writer who was later found guilty of sexual harassment by the university committee in Karachi. Her skin looked like it was crafted from rose petals. And here's Shabnam Khalil, whose parents were friends with Salim and Shanaz. She was very well-mannered and very soft-spoken, polite. These were the things that made people give her a second look. As a former politician put it, she was sexy. What made her so attractive is that when you saw her, you wanted to take her to bed. On the morning of October 12th, 1970, Shanaz arrived at Mustafa's apartment. From a house in Bangalore town, Karachi, it would have taken her maybe 10 minutes to get there. Iqbal, 
The doorman said salam to her as she walked in. Shahnaz didn't leave for the rest of the day or night. The next day, Mustafa's friends and Salim stood outside as the police broke open the door. They found Mustafa dead and Shahnaz passed out. As she was carried out on a stretcher, Salim followed, holding on to Shahnaz's bag. What was in this bag is still a mystery. I'm Sabah Imtaz. I'm Tuba Masood. And you were listening to Notes on a Scandal. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. And we're apologetic that this episode was a bit delayed. But unfortunately, Tuba had COVID, but is thankfully all recovered now. Yes, guys, stay safe, wear your masks. You can listen to this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Podcast Addict or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also write to us on Twitter on our handle Sabah Imtiaz. Tabahi Tuba. Or on Instagram on Murder Mystery 70 where we're posting a lot more additional content and behind the scenes from this episode and other episodes. And you can follow us on Instagram on our personal handles. I'm Sabah Imtiaz. I'm Tabahi Tuba. This podcast was recorded at the Center of Excellence in Journalism at the IBA.